Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black, and my co-host, Cole Miller. This is technically part two in terms of the podcast we're recording this week, although in reality, it's probably going to be part one because we want to get this episode out as soon as possible uh, before too much of the NBA playoffs, the first round has actually started. Um, This is our first round playoff preview. Uh, We're going to go through all eight series to the best of our ability and kind of just give you a basis on some of the matchups, some of the different things you'll be expecting from these teams on both ends of the floor. And of course, we'll give our series predictions. Um, Just a very quick, quick hit and primer kind of episode just to get everybody thinking about the playoffs and and everybody in a good mood because I'm certainly excited I think we have a number of good first-round series here. So, Cole, are you ready to dive into some of these matchups? Absolutely. So let's start it off in the Eastern Conference with our hometown Philadelphia 76ers being able to go up against the Washington Wizards, who are – it's funny. Kevin said to us as a hot take, he thought that the Wizards were going to win by 30, and he was pretty damn dead on the nose with that one. Um, as that game was a blowout through and through. They just hung as many points as as possible um, on the Indiana Pacers. So the Wizards kind of looked like the team I I thought we expected to see against Boston the other night. Um, And and so that's more of the team that I'm expecting to face Philadelphia. Um, This absolute dynamo offensive tandem between Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal able to score in a variety of ways. And they're not necessarily going to be stopped by anybody in particular on the Sixers, but um, you would expect the, the the combination of Ben Simmons, Danny Green, Matisse Thybul to, to be able to do some damage on those two, as well as some of the other players um, for, for the Wizards. I, I think an interesting player to take note of who's had a little bit of a coming out party over the last few days has been Rui Hachimura, um, the 6A combo forward for the Wizards, albeit he did get in foul trouble in that game against Boston, but he still had a pretty decent performance, and he certainly had an efficient night uh, against Indiana. He He's really coming into his own, was always known to be like this mid-range scorer, threat transition at his size, not like a lockdown defender, but certainly long and athletic enough that he can give some people, some other forwards, problems um, in particular. And I'll be really curious to see how well he can play Tobias Harris defensively. And in turn, if Tobias Harris is able to limit what Rui can do around the basket offensively, whether that's in the post or, or kind of in those mid-range situations. So besides the the classic Ben Simmons, Danny Green, and Thibault versus the, the Washington perimeter duo, I'm really curious to see um, what happens in that forward spot. And obviously, Joel Embiid's going to be the the two-way monster that he's been all year, the potential MVP candidate. Probably would have been the MVP um, if he didn't miss as many games. But, Cole, what are some of the things that you're looking at in, in, in this series? And, and, and give us your series prediction. I think Kevin's actually picking the Sixers in a sweep. I'm going to take the Sixers in a gentleman's sweep. But what are your thoughts and some of the things you're looking for in this series? Yeah, I'm going to go with you on the gentleman sweep here. I just think that Beal and Westbrook are bound to get off for one game and they'll probably get enough help from from their other teammates there to get one by the Sixers just because we, as Sixers fans, we've seen the Sixers get annihilated on the perimeter by Beal for the last several years here. And, and part of during the season, I'll definitely be thinking about, man, I wish we had Bradley Beal on this team because that would make things a lot easier for the Philadelphia 76ers. 
Um, I'll be interested as well to see Rui versus Tobias. I think that's a very good uh, matchup for uh, for Rui to learn. I think Tobias needs to eat his lunch if you know the Sixers are the team who we think they are. And it's going to be a learning experience for, for the Wizards at young players like Rui Hachimura in that regard. Um, I think he's going to struggle a little bit and find out what he needs to do in the offseason to get better. And I think that's going to be something fun for us to learn about Rui as well. Um, you know, if he comes out and, you know, gets 18 a game this series like he did against Indiana, yeah, maybe there's maybe there's something here. But I really don't see that happening. I think the Sixers are going to be locked in. The Wizards have been playing their asses off for about three weeks straight. Uh, they could be getting a little tired at some point, I would imagine. And so I think that could catch up to them at some point against this team. And I think the Sixers could, I could see them sweeping like Kevin has. Yeah, so, so could I. And, and the main reason behind that is that offensively, Philly just has so many different ways that they can hurt a team like the Wizards. Um, kind, of, kind of going through some of these numbers here that I was able to put together, all of these rankings are based on synergy stats for the season and their rankings by points per possession. Um, the Sixers were second in post-ups, sixth in handoffs, seventh in isolations, um, 13 in scoring out of pick and rolls, um, with the ball handler, they were ninth in jump shots and 11 in catch and shoot. Um, all of those play types I just listed off. The Wizards are not good at defending any of those play types whatsoever. Um, so clearly Embiid's going to have his way in the post and be able to generate offense efficiently that way. Um, he's really he's gotten really good, um, much better in the two man game. I think that was one of the things preseason that we were looking at was could he establish a two man game with somebody like Seth Curry in the same way that he established a relationship like that with JJ Redick. Um, that's clearly been a success this season. So um, be between some of those handoff situations with Seth Curry and Danny Green, being able to shoot the lights out with Ben Simmons, obviously being the best um, playmaker for others in terms of getting guys open looks for three-point shots, um, them excelling in the catch-and-shoot game. I just don't think the Wizards can do enough being the 20th-ranked um, defense in the league in points by possession. I just don't think they, they have enough juice to be able to stop what the 76ers want to do offensively. And then, yeah, Philly being the first team overall in total defense points by possession. Um, we, we saw that bear itself out all year long. They're a menacing defense, two potential defensive player of the year candidates. You could argue really any season in Simmons and Embiid, along with some of those other perimeter defenders that we mentioned. Yeah, I, I, th this is an easy gentleman sweep. Not too much time that we necessarily need to spend on that one. The other series in the East that we really don't need to spend a lot of time on is Brooklyn against Boston. Um, I have the Nets winning pretty convincingly in, in five games. I think Kevin has uh, the Nets winning in six games. And, and, and like I said, this is really easy. The Nets first in total offense points by possession. You just look at everything that they're good at. It, it's really impressive when you actually look category by category. They were um, first in post-ups. They were second in spot-ups and handoffs, third in transition and offensive rebounds, fourth generating points um, out of romance and, and, and pick and roll situations. Um, first in isolations and post-ups, including passes. A lot of that comes from the addition of James Harden um, being able to pick apart defenses by will and, and make things happen, whether it's out of pick and roll or him kind of doing it, his dribble-dribble dance at the top of the key and, and whether he's bombing a three um, or, or getting a step on somebody. He's just such a maestro with the ball in his hands. The same goes for Kyrie Irving, of course. Um, but some of the other weapons they have around them, Joe Harris, Jeff Green, um, these are guys who can be potentially prolific three-point shooters if they get hot enough. So I just think the Nets have way too many weapons um, for, for Boston to be able to contain. And they do so many things. Well, again, it's about a diversity in their offensive attack. It's not that the Nets just do one 
or two things well as a collective team, not necessarily even taking into account the fact that they have three superstars generating offense for them at different points or on the court even at the same time, which is something we're going to get to see in the playoffs. Finally, we didn't really get that in the regular season, but it's just the number of things they can do. Um, do you have anything else to add re regarding the Nets Celtics series, Cole? Is there anything that could give you just a slight amount of optimism for Boston that they can maybe steal a game or two? No, I got the Nets in four here. I think this is over real quick, and I just want to highlight some of the stats you pulled out and put them against the Nets and, the, and Celtics real quick. Um, Nets offense, second in spot-ups, second in jump shots, and third in catch-and-shoot. Celtics defense, 24th in spot-ups, 23rd in jump shots, 24th in catch This is going to be over real quick. Nets are going to yeah. shoot the lights out against this team. Jalen Brown's not on the floor. They don't have a chance. Let's move on. <laughs> and certainly we'll move on to the more divisive series among us because Kevin is our, our, our Heats fan on the team and, and, and God bless him. The Miami Heat have certainly been a joy to watch these last few years with the collection of talent that they've put together. Jimmy Bam, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn. They, they have so many different guys who could contribute at any point during a game. And once again, they find themselves matched up with the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, now, this is going to be a, a different series with what I think is going to be a different outcome, although it wouldn't surprise me if Miami was still able to come out with a win in, in this series. But for the Bucks being known as this defensive juggernaut um, over the last few years, they, they've completely flipped. Now, if anything, they've been much more focused on the offensive end and they've slipped in some defensive categories that the Nets can potentially take advantage of. Um, for, for example, the, the, the Bucks are not as good defending um, in isolation situations when there's passing involved, when the ball's whipping around the court. Um, they're, they're also not the best defending jump shots and catch-and-shoot looks. So when you're talking about a Miami Heat team with, with guys who can get as hot as anybody um, from the perimeter and Tyler Hero and, and, and Duncan Robinson or – on that same notion, if they don't respect Jimmy Butler and all of a sudden Jimmy has one of those games where he's canning like two or three threes on top of everything else that he's doing, scoring inside the arc, getting others involved for that team, and obviously playing the stellar defense that he can from the point of attack or, or guard the other team's best player, whether he has to be matched up on somebody like Giannis or if Drew Holiday gets hot, he has to contain him, or if Chris Middleton gets hot, um, Jimmy can guard any of those guys, and obviously Bam Adebayo is probably one of the best defensive weapons that anybody can have in the league to, to go up against Giannis. But on that same end, I mentioned that Milwaukee was so focused on their production offensively. Um, third out of isolation sets, including passes. Um, fourth in jump shots. They're, they're eighth around the basket and fifth in catch-and-shoot situations. So again, they have so many different ways that they can hurt you. Um, and I think this is probably the best supporting cast of shooters that Giannis has been surrounded with up to this point. So if he looks to get downhill and, and get people involved passing out of the lane, um, he's got guys like Drew Holiday, as we mentioned, is, is, was a new addition to the team this year and played incredibly well for them all year long. Dante DiVincenzo has just continued to get better and better. That, that's one of our guys, Cole, being from, from Villanova. Um, they, they just have more guys that can hurt you. Pat Connaughton has kind of still been um, a, a decent catch-and-shoot threat for them. Like 
that's why I think the Bucks are ultimately going to win this series. But it's going to be a hard-fought series. I, I don't think it's going to be the defensive battle that we've seen from these two teams in the past. I think it's going to be a more high-scoring affair, and it's going to be about which team gets hot at the right times. And just given what we've seen from Milwaukee this year, having that chip on their shoulder that they're going up against a team that they have been able to beat in the playoffs um, consistently, I think that's going to be enough motivation for for them and Giannis in particular to really come out, dominate wherever they can, and, and ultimately pull out a close one. Uh, what what are your thoughts on, on the Heat Bucks series, Cole? Before I kick it over to Kevin and let him give some of his thoughts. Yeah, this is definitely going to be a juggernaut series. Um, it wouldn't shock me if the Heat pull it out, but I definitely think the Bucks have the edge this year, um, mainly due to the Drew Holiday acquisition. They made that acquisition for this time of year, and I think it's going to pay off for them. He makes a huge difference in the playoffs. He can lock up a team's best perimeter player, and he can also get his. And that takes the weight off uh, Chris Middleton's shoulders to do the same thing at, at not a maximum rate as he used to do. So he'll have his legs later in the game if he needs to get the shot off or if Drew needs to get the shot off. I really think that's going to help him, especially with Dante starting to come into his own. I think he's the X factor. If Dante is able to chip in 14 to 16 a game, really find his three-point stroke consistently and, and be able to spot up as Drew and Chris and, and Giannis are driving the hoop, that's going to make it all the easier for the Bucs. And I think that's what we see out of, at the, out of Dante. He's shown that he's a big game player before. And I really think that's what makes the difference this year for the Bucs is, is Dante and Drew. Um, last time we saw Drew in the first round of a playoff series, he averaged 28 points a game and almost seven assists. So... The Duke and Ball in the playoffs, I think we're underestimating and kind of forgetting what he was able to do. Nothing would make me happier than to have a Dante DiVincenzo true coming out party in the NBA um, in, in a series like this or potentially later in the playoffs if the Bucs are, are able to advance. Kevin, I, I know you're going to pick the Heat, but, but give us your thoughts. What have you kind of seen from the team um, in the games that you've been able to see this season? What gives you the optimism that they can potentially replicate a kind of a run like they went on last year. I think the big X factor is going to be Hero at the end of the day. He's had a kind of an off season. Like, he's had a sophomore slump. It is what it is. Um, but if you look at his stats from, like, the last 10 games, so for the overall season, he shot 36% for three, which is acceptable, but it's not great. But last 10, he's shot 48.6%. So he's kind of started to pick it up as the season progressed. So I'm looking at Tyler Hero moving the ball well, which he has been over the last 10 games, and shooting the ball better over the last 10 games. And yeah, Drew Holiday, the lockdown defender, I'm not saying that he's not by any account, right? But I think the Heat just have too many shooters at the end of the day. I think it's going to be a seven-game series, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks won at all. But I just think the Heat have so many weapons, and some of them are just starting to click finally. Yeah, that is one of the Bucks' downfalls, and that, that, that comes back to the defensive philosophy that, that they've, they've taken the last few years. Um, they, they've wanted to be a team that protects the paint first and foremost, and you'll see them. Like, like, like I can recall multiple games that they played Philadelphia, for example, and they just leave guys wide open from three, um, and, and sometimes they don't even bother to close out on the perimeter. Um, and, and that's really been a thorn in their side because you can't do that against a team like Miami, like, like Duncan Robinson is such a unique shooter because you give him like a centimeter to be able to get that shot off and, and he can make a look from virtually anywhere on the court. And you mentioned Tyler Hero being an X factor. I absolutely agree. He can get irrationally hot from, from anywhere, as I alluded to previously. So it's really going to be about 
Milwaukee showing the willingness to contest a lot of those three-point shots and not letting Miami have the open looks to get so irrationally hot for, from the perimeter. Now, I think Cole brings up a great point defensively that Drew doesn't let guys have easy offense, right? If Drew's in the vicinity to, to make a play happen or make a defensive stop, he's going to put forth the effort to do so. So regardless of who he ends up spending the most amount of time on, I think between their perimeter guys, he's probably still going to guard Jimmy the most, and it's probably going to be Middleton taking on one of those two other shooters. But if Drew switches on to one of those guys, whether it be here or Robinson, um, if one of those guys starts to make a few shots, Holiday is not going to be someone um, to, to just stand by and not try and close out on one of those guys and make them do something else with the ball. So, um, yeah, it, it's about some of the different guys and, and potentially different strategies that Milwaukee may choose to employ, uh, deploy this year that, that can change the series. So I'm confident that that will happen. That's why I'm going to pick the Bucks in seven. But th this is going to be one hell of a series, and, and I can't wait to watch um, every single game, as I'm excited to with all these playoff series. But that one in particular, I think we can all agree that's probably going to be the best first-round matchup in the Eastern Conference. Uh, moving on past that one, our last first-round series in the East, we have the Knicks against the Hawks. Now, I was listening earlier today um, to, to Zach Lowe's podcast with David Thorpe. If you guys haven't listened to that one, by the time you're listening to ours, you're doing yourself a disservice. Please go and listen to that podcast. Um, but they were talking about the series and how um, ESPN had a lot of insiders and writers um, they had 18 different people pick these first-round playoff series, and 15 out of 18 of them chose the Knicks. Um, only three, one of them being Zach Lowe, chose the Hawks, and Coach Thorpe actually went on Zach's podcast and picked the Hawks because they both just think Atlanta's the more talented team, um, both offensively and defensively. Now, I would disagree, particularly defensively. I think the Knicks, um, it, it's not necessarily that they have Thibodeau there, um, and obviously there's been a culture change, but I just think in this first round of the playoffs, I know for a fact that, that the Knicks came out on social media and they announced that um, their first few home games are, are completely sold out, max capacity as much as it can be um, in, in these times as we're recovering from, from the COVID pandemic, about 15,000 fans in the building. You know damn well that those fans are going to be as loud as can be. And that's going to be an environment. Not only has, has Trey Young and some of those younger Atlanta Hawks players not been in a playoff series, they, they certainly have not been in a playoff series like how it's going to be in New York when they have to go on the road to the Garden in an environment that's been starved for any kind of basketball success um, for, from the Knicks. I just think that that environment at the end of the day is going to be too tough for those Atlanta Hawks players to, to overcome, especially with the defensive intensity, with Randall being the force that he is, with the size that they have uh, on the perimeter, with guys like Alfred Payton, R.J. Barrett, Reggie Bullock. I mean, the, these are not small guys. Like the, These are guys who are all like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six and above. Um, and, and Randall obviously being the big guy that he is to, to kind of swallow up some of those um, smaller or, or not necessarily smaller in the case of Herter and Bogdanovich, but more slender um, offensive playmakers. I really think if, if the Atlanta Hawks are going to make noise in this series and they're going to steal a few games or potentially even win it, they're going to have to take advantage of the fact that the main area of weakness for the Knicks defensively is they don't guard well 
in, in pick and roll sets. And Trey Young and Clint Capella have been the best, or one of the best, I should say, if not the best pick and roll duo um, in the entire NBA. Trey Young, obviously, being a savant um, passer, him being able to stretch the defense on some of those screen sets. If Clint Capella sets the right screen at the right angle, um, and you give Trey Young an inch of space, he's going to have that quick trigger. He's going to want to get that shot off. And if, if Trey Young gets hot, if the Knicks let him get irrationally hot and he's able to put up like 35, 40 points a game in a playoff series, then I guess at that point, all bets are off, right? So it's really going to come down to how the Knicks um, scheme against Trey Young specifically, how they're able to limit those pick and roll, easy finish opportunities from Capella at the rim, as well as uh, some of their other guys and what they're able to do in that part of the offense specifically. How can the Knicks contain Trey Young's pick and roll attack? Um, so I'm going to take the Knicks in six to win this series. I'm going to agree with the majority of those ESPN staffers, but like I said, there is a blueprint for the Hawks to be able to make some noise and potentially even win the series. Cole, um, where, where are you at Knicks Hawks? Why are you making the, the selection that you are? What do you kind of see from what can happen in this series? Yeah. So I'm taking the Knicks in five, like Kevin is, um, I just, you know, not not always does it matter if when these teams meet in the regular season what the regular season record is when you come to playoff time, but I think it does here. And the Knicks won every matchup this year pretty handily, except for one overtime matchup. I just think that is born out of they're the tougher team. Uh, they can be more physical with the Hawks, and come playoff time, it's more physical basketball already. So I think they're just going to boss this team around a little bit. And I just like what they're bringing off the bench a little bit better than what the Hawks are bringing off the bench as well. Derrick Rose is playing really well right now. Quickly's had some nice moments. And against the Hawks, Quickly will, you know, still be able to produce pretty well, I think. Neither team is super deep. So whichever gets to move on, I think that's going to be a quick out uh, in the second round because you're looking at, you know, six or seven man rotations and that's just not going to hold up. These guys are going to get tired eventually. Um, but I, like I said, Nixon five. Well, that's the that that's kind of what we've seen from, from Thibodeau coach teams is that um, for, for some of these other teams coming in regular season into the playoffs, um, sure, everyone tightens up a rotation at some point, but Tibbs has a tight rotation all year round, right? So these guys are playing crazy minutes, and that's kind of been, yeah, you, you, you can win a bunch of games. You could win 45 to 50 games in the regular season playing with a tight rotation and leaning on your best players to make plays consistently, especially if they remain healthy through the regular season. But when you get to the playoffs and you deal with, the, uh, with all of what comes along as far as the conditioning aspect, how ready are these guys to, to come out and perform in even tougher defensive situations than, than what they faced in the regular season? Like we, we've already seen with some of these playing games, like the defensive intensity ha has ratcheted up in a few of them. Um, sure, sure, we've had a few blowouts, but especially in like that Warriors-Lakers game, you could tell that like everybody's going to come into this first round. The playoffs are just a different beast defensively. Yeah. So that's why I'm, I'm so intrigued to see if Trey Young can can have like a coming out party in the playoffs and establish himself as this true star level guard. I know he's been an all star, uh, but he's had certain points, and, and even the Atlanta Hawks have had certain points of success where he hasn't been on the floor for it. Um, and, and it's kind of been more about, especially what what Nate McMillan's been able to come in and do, um, and in his short time with the team and kind of turn some things around for them on both ends of the floor. So I just question how much of a factor is Trey Young going to be. And if he's better than what the Knicks bring defensively, then they have a shot. But I'm just not confident that they're going to be able to figure everything out and that 
the Knicks aren't going to be able to bring that second ranked defense in terms of points per possession from the regular season into the postseason and grind out games here in the first round. I agree. I think it's going to be like a five or six game series. I'll give the Hawks two games because I just think that Trey Young can just get hot, put up like 40 points in, in, in two games and carry them um, to, to a few wins, especially against a team like the Knicks who are 21st in total offense. Um, they can absolutely get cold from the perimeter too. Um, and if Julius Randle and R.J. Bear aren't able to get into the lane consistently, finish around the basket at a high level, um, their their offense can, can struggle at times too. So I'll, I'll give the Hawks a few games, but nothing really exciting um, for me to point out in, in that series. And I think we can comfortably move on to, to the West here where it really does start to get exciting. Um, you have the Utah Jazz going up against the winner of tonight's play-in game. We're recording this on Friday the 21st between the Golden State Warriors and the Memphis Grizzlies. I think the Warriors are, are going to win that game. I think the Warriors are going to be the eighth seed. I, I don't necessarily think anybody else has any other opinions unless Cole. Who, who are you picking for the play-in game? Do you have the Warriors as well? I do. I know it's a revenge game uh, real soon for the for the Grizzlies, but I still think the Warriors, Steph is just playing at an unbelievable rate. He's by far the best player on the court. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any way that Steph lets them lose that game and, the, and not let that team get to the playoffs. And, and they've been hot. Um, they almost beat the Lakers in the other night. That was a thrilling game. Um, yeah. pe people have talked about Andrew Wiggins has stepped up for that team as well. I've been really impressed with what he's done um, over the last few weeks. As someone who once was a really big Andrew Wiggins believer. It, it's nice to see him be able to contribute to real winning basketball in the capacity like he is. But with that being said, they're going up against what was a regular season juggernaut this year with Utah winning 52 out of 72 possible games, um, an overwhelming offensive attack, second um, in, in pick and roll offense from the ball handler, um, third in spot ups as well as pick and roll offense. Um, points scored by the role man fifth in offensive rebounds and putbacks as you can kind of imagine Gobert um is a relentless rebounder on the glass along with Derek favors when he's been able to come off the bench and give them good minutes as well some of their other front court guys are able to contribute to rebounding like Joe Ingles um so you, you know that Utah is going to be able to score in a variety of ways uh, Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell are going to be able to operate pick and roll offense incredibly well. They're going to pick the Golden State Warriors apart. They're going to get open jump shots and they're going to put points on the board. Uh, but the other thing that I really noticed when I was pulling some of these numbers is that Utah, just by what they were able to do in the regular season, and I know that, like we just said, the playoffs are a different animal, but they were so overwhelmingly good defensively as well. And obviously a lot of that comes from um, Gobert, manning the paint not not just blocking shots but changing shots at so many different angles and being the presence that he is um donovan mitchell while not being a, a, an all-world defender on the perimeter at least being very competitive very feisty mike conley um bringing a veteran presence to that backcourt that he wasn't himself last year but he's certainly been himself this year and that's also been a big reason why they've been able to win so many games so while steph has been irrationally hot you know that he's probably going to give them like 35 to 40 points a game, something absolutely absurd in this series. I just don't think he has um, enough around him to be able to, to pick apart a team like the Utah Jazz. I think this is going to be a gentleman's sweep. I have the Jazz in five. I think Kevin has the Jazz in six. The, the only thing that I will give to Golden State is that they are, Steph Curry and Draymond Green are so smart 
They know how to pick apart teams doing the little things in handoff actions, um, having having Steph particularly run off screens, getting him involved in the pick and roll game with Draymond, having Draymond do everything that he can do out of the short roll, um, giving another team just so many different looks offensively and operating off of pure motion. Um, I think the Jazz are going to be well coached. I don't think Quinn Snyder is going to be caught off guard by anything that Golden State does. But if you're going up against two guys as intelligent and witty as Steph and Draymond, you do have to be prepared for quite literally anything on the court, and you have to bring your A game. I think the Jazz will, but if the Jazz are off in, in a few games and you give Steph Curry the the light of day to winning this series, like if you don't finish out Golden State in five games, you give him a game six, I can see Steph just completely going off and being Superman, forcing a game seven. And if you're in a game, a game seven against Steph and Draymond, I mean, you, you have to think that it's not the, the Jazz aren't going to be an overwhelming favorite at that point, even though the game is going to be in Utah. So um, there are some interesting wrinkles that bring different dimensions to this series, but I, I think the Jazz are going to be focused to get the job done and move on. What are your thoughts, Cole? I'm with you. I think it's easy to fall into like, ooh, the Warriors, Steph Curry's playing so well right now. Like they had regular season success against the Jazz. Maybe they could pull it off, but I just, the Jazz are where they are for a reason. And they maintain that spot without Donovan Mitchell for you know a good stretch down down the rest of the season. Uh, so I think I think the Warriors are going to get a game. I think that's mainly because Donovan Mitchell is easing himself back in right now. But this team has a lot of weapons, like you pointed out. I think they're all clicking. Uh, they've been playing well all season together. Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench, easily the sixth man of the year in my book. Um, they're getting you know good contributions out of guys like Royce O'Neal and George Niang. I think they're going to be great role players for them all playoffs long. And I think it deserves to be mentioned that the Jazz, outside of Donovan Mitchell, all of these guys are are like 26 to 33. Like, that's the perfect age for a playoff team. And they're not going to be pushed around by anybody. And they've been, you know, they've been kind of embarrassed the last couple of years, I think, in their mind. So I think they're, I think, like you said, they're going to be coming, coming in razor focused. They're going to kick the Warriors to the curb and they're going to show everybody out West that they mean business this year. Absolutely. So you Utah... Winning that series, I think, pretty handily. Cole and I are in agreement. Kevin's also um, in, in lockstep somewhat. He has the Jazz in six. So he's actually going to give the Warriors uh, another game, which, like I said, I, I wouldn't be shocked if the Warriors pushed it to six, pushed it or seven. Um, Steph and Draymond can be that good, but um, where you're, you're really betting against the odds going up against the team has been so dominant on both ends of the floor. So um, I just don't think the Warriors have enough guys, other guys to make enough shots. And, and that's it too. Like, like is Jordan Poole going to be like this amazing 40% plus three point shooter in, in playoff situations when he's still pretty young of the teeth or guys like Michael Mulder going right. to be able to step up consistently Is Andrew Wiggins going to stay as hot as he's been. Like there's just so many question marks with golden state that we don't know the answers to. We may find out some surprising answers who knows, but I just think Utah is coming in focused. They have one of the best coaches in the league. They have a veteran trio and, and Conley, Donovan Mitchell, and, and Rudy Gobert, who aren't going to mess around. They're c- going to come out full force, both ends of the floor. And yeah, they'll get the job done. Do you want, so, me, to, do you want me to tell you why I think that Golden State's going to get two wins? Yeah, please. I think Steph is going to drop 60 points at least one time in the series. Wow. I think he's going to just take over everything. Can we get you to like make a prop bet? Like, can we get FanDuel to like get us to 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 let Kevin make like a prop bet? Yeah. Steph Curry I, over under fifty nine and a half in one game. 
I could see that based off how Denver was able to let Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell were having like 40-point battles yeah. last year. I, I just think it's going to get to the point where we see Steph Curry just understand I'm the only person on this team that can like score efficiently, right? And he's just gonna he's gonna have like one of those like Dame games where Dame just takes every single shot, right? And Steph has the same qualities, if not better than Dame. I mean, if really it's real argument who's the better three point shooter, right? Who's saying Steph just doesn't pull up from the logo like five or six times and just make all of them, right? The distinct possibility. I mean, I, I think that Steph is has been the more consistent three point shooter throughout his tenure, but to your point, Kevin um, and, and we can get into Dame Lillard when we talk about the, the the Nuggets Blazers, but yeah, Dame's able to make every single type of three point shot that Steph is. Like he has the ability, the ability to make those same shots. I do agree with that. Um, so so yeah, if Steph goes off for like sixty points in a game, I, I'd be really shocked if Golden State would lose that game. Um, so yeah, that can be an X factor. That can absolutely give them an extra game. Um, moving on to the series that I'm the most excited for out of all of them. The Phoenix Suns against the Los Angeles Lakers. The Phoenix Suns winning 51 games this year for a franchise that's been an absolute, as Colin Cowherd likes to say, tire fire for so many years. Chris Paul comes in and everything just seems to click. And, and I don't want to put every single little ounce of success at the feet of Chris Paul, even though he's obviously had a big part in it. But I also think that Phoenix just had so many young pieces who have now gotten time to, to season and develop and, and being better coached, having having two years now under their belts with Monty Williams, having somebody like Chris Paul come in and be a coach for those guys on the floor. I just think that everyone's game has, has jumped a level. And now they honestly have one of, one of if not the most complete team in, in the NBA, in my opinion. I, I truly think that this series could potentially determine the, the NBA finals race, at least in the West altogether. Like I think the winner of this series in my mind is going to go to the NBA finals. Um, I'm going to pick the Lakers in seven games. I don't say that lightly, but really two reasons. Number one, I trust Anthony Davis and LeBron James when the chips are on the table to be able to get it done in isolation. And number two, I, I, I also trust how good they've been throughout this season defensively to carry over. I think that Anthony Davis is going to give DeAndre Ayton as many fits as possible in the post. I don't think Ayton's going to get anything easy down low. And so that just puts more pressure um, on Phoenix's tandem of perimeter, uh, perimeter scores in particular and distributors and Chris Paul um, and Devin Booker to make everything happen outside of the painted area as opposed to um, being able to get inside a lot easier. And those catch-and-shoot guys are also going to be looked at um, to, to produce in higher volume as well. Guys like Mikhail Bridges, um, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, um, Dario Saric is absolutely going to have to step up for this team as well. Um, and my, I guess my final concern, Chris Paul's had injuries in the postseason before. Not that I obviously want this to happen or not that I'd wish it on him, but if it does, and the team has to go to Devin Booker being charge, uh, being in charge of running the offense full-time, which is not that he's not capable, but he's not the same level of playmaker as Chris Paul. Um, and if they got to throw more minutes at, at Cameron Payne, who also doesn't have the same playoff seasoning 
to somebody like Chris Paul, like, I just wonder, I really hope that doesn't become a factor, but that it has to be in the back of your mind when you're thinking about Chris Paul uh, being active in any kind of postseason series. So those are really my three takeaways as far as why I think the Lakers are ultimately going to pull it out. The other thing I'll say, though, is that Phoenix has been really good at finding ways to, to accomplish the little things, backdoor teams, gets people running off screens at the right times. Monty Williams has done a great job, and Chris Paul, for that matter, on the court in getting everybody involved in the right space at the right time. So if the Lakers get lazy on defense, if they get lazy around the basket, not necessarily containing Aiton, but they get lazy allowing cutters to just flow through that, flow through that painted area at all times, um, the, the Suns have the personnel to pick you apart and play that style of half-court game. So if, if the Lakers are careless and they don't play with that top-five defensive intensity that they did in the regular season, I think they will. But if they don't, they're going to let the door open for Phoenix to not only win it even in like seven games, but for Phoenix to potentially win it even quicker than that, which before I get to you, Cole, Kevin has Phoenix winning in six. And, and I want to applaud him for that pick. Like, like God, like, I, I don't want to see LeBron bow out early, but damn, like, I, I really want to see this Phoenix Suns team as much as I possibly can this year. They've been that fun to watch. So, Kevin, why are you taking Phoenix in six games? I just, I, watching the game, uh, gosh, what was it? Last night, I guess? Two nights ago? Two nights ago. Uh, I just, there's something off with the Lakers this year. Maybe it's LeBron's health, which it, it probably is. Anthony Davis was just making really bad decisions. I just, I don't know. Watching that game, and it may be recency bias, right? Like, it could have just been they're playing against Draymond Green, right? And he's yeah. an elite defender, one of the best ever. And maybe that's why everything looked like it was just crumbling. But I just, I don't know. I, I just think they don't have it this year. Um, well, the other the other yeah. aspect of that too is that like is the Lakers more often than people want to admit they capitalize so well on other teams' mistakes they get out in transition they get easy baskets um, they're not going to be able to do that against Phoenix like Phoenix is not a team that's going to turn the ball over like 25, 30 times a game they're going to limit turnovers and they're going to force you to beat them um, in, in, in half court sets much more often especially in a playoff situation you know that team's going to be well coached. And they're going to have it put together. So, like, yeah, like the Lakers, uh, to your point, Kevin, and I'll let you continue. Sorry I interrupted you, but um, they're not going to be able to just cakewalk through this series and capitalize on a shit ton of mistakes. Like, Phoenix is going to have their wits about them, and they're going to make the Lakers work for it. Yeah, and if there's any player in the NBA who can truly be a LeBron counter in terms of just being as smart as him in terms of basketball cue, it's probably Chris Paul, right? Yep. I mean, that guy is just elite. I mean, we got a chance to see him a few, I guess a few months ago at this point, right? Yeah. And even though he didn't have a great performance, you can just see just how well he sees the floor. That guy is just, I, I think he's due for something, and I could really see this team making a run to the finals. I don't know if they end up winning it all, because you're going to have tough competition in the East, whether it's Brooklyn coming out, whether it's Philly, or one of the other teams, it's going to be tough. But right now, I just really like Phoenix to make it all the way, because I think Chris Paul is extra motivated, and I don't want to be against an extra motivated Chris Paul. And just going back to the Lakers, too, it wouldn't surprise me if with LeBron's ankle, he doesn't even make it through the series, right? 
Like he came back twice now and he's re-aggravated it twice. It, it's just yeah. it's super yeah. sketch. By the way, but before I before we we get into some of Cole's thoughts, um, the fact that Chris Paul did not make it third place in the MVP balloting that really pisses me off. And I understand the season that Steph Curry had. I get that he's been incredible. Um, for for like a month, month and a half, he had that scoring streak where he was absolutely bananas offensively, whether it was shooting the ball from three or just putting points on the board overall. But what Chris Paul has done for this team all year long, the fact that he can't be mentioned in the top three, I don't know, that 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 just makes me really mad. Like that man deserves so much credit for everything that's happened, for everything that happened in Oklahoma City last year, for everything that's happened in Phoenix this year. Like like, damn, that really makes me mad. Um, like, like I probably wouldn't like if I had an MVP vote, honest to God, I would vote for Chris Paul. Like he would be my MVP over Nikola Jokic. And I'm not saying that Nikola Jokic doesn't deserve to win the MVP award. That's not what I'm saying at all. The dude's had one of the best seasons we've ever seen from a center um, in, in terms of the versatility of his production. But just what Chris Paul has meant to this team, like, like and, and hashtag team little guys. I, I've kind of become this guy who's just going to stand on the soapbox for, for, for the smaller guard at this point. Um, when, when either scouting for the NBA or, or, or appreciating the NBA game at, at a high level. I, I, I'm siding with Chris Paul this year, and that's another reason why I want to see this team succeed, give Chris Paul a chance to prove everybody wrong that maybe he should have really been um, it, it, among the three finalists for the MVP award. But Cole, I, I've literally been watching a type here, going back and forth in our Google Docs. Lakers, yep. Phoenix, Lakers, I don't know. <laughs> let's figure it, let's figure it out together, man. What what are your thoughts? What, what what are your positives? What are your negatives? How can we talk this out and, and help you come to a conclusion on this series? Yeah, so when we first scrolled down to through these two teams, I think I had Phoenix in there. And then I've like you said, just been swapping back and forth. You guys have made some excellent points here, and this has just been a toss-up in my mind to begin with. But I think it's gonna come down to health, youth, and age. That's kind of it, really. And I'm, I'm gonna side with Kevin here. LeBron's ankle is not in the best shape. He's playing, but he, he's definitely not uh, where he could be. And they're coming off an extremely long season last year. So, yeah, I think he's a little tired. I don't think they have the same desire this year either as they might have had last year. You know, they, they could see it at the bubble. It was, you know, everything was kind of like within reach when you're there. Um, and they were able to pull the team together and, and get it done. I just don't think that's going to happen this year for the Lakers. The Suns are a young, exciting team who's very confident. You know, Devin Booker is is ultra confident, and now he's got Chris Paul next to him. So, yeah, I think it's time Chris Paul makes his imprint again on the league. He did a long, long time ago, uh, you know, when he was on the New Orleans Hornets. And uh, I think I think he's going to make his mark this year. I think this is Chris Paul's year. Let's, let's take this team to the finals. Yeah, he's got a bunch of guys who haven't really been there, but they've kind of been there in their own way. Like, Booker's carried this team for four years. Aiton, they just need him to do the little things and, and you know, show up when he can offensively when they're not expecting. Bridges, he's going to be their, they're, they're going to be their lockdown defender. And Bridges has played in, in big moments in college, so I, I don't see him shrink, shrinking in the moment either. He could be very Iguodala-esque on LeBron, and with LeBron at 100%, I think Bridges has a good chance to do some, you know, damage defensively there. So, for all those reasons, I think I'm going to go ahead and pick Phoenix. It's going to be a hell of a series. Can I bring up an interesting stat real quick? You always can, Kevin. I was scrolling through the NBA Reddit earlier, and do you know Mikhail Bridges is actually the clutchest shooter in the last minute for Phoenix too? I didn't realize he was that like efficient in the last minute of the game. I thought he was just like I knew he could shoot, right? 
I thought he was just like an elite defender, right? But he's, I don't know, Mikael Bridges is underrated. He's oh, a no, really Mikhail good player. Bridges is a player. Yeah, no, he's a player. Um, and, and Cole and I always thought that he was going to be a player. And that's why, like, Cole, not not that I'm trying to hate on Zaire Smith by, by any means. I know that that was your boy. Um, but God, when, when, when Philly traded Mikhail Bridges, I was heartbroken. Cause I was like, damn, he was just perfect for, for, for the Sixers. And I'm, I'm so upset that they passed on. Not necessarily, obviously there's a lot that happened with Zaire Smith that nobody can control. Um, but, but I just thought that Bridges would have been a dynamite player for him. I know it was kind of like blah, like, oh, of course the Villanova kid, the, the Philly star stays in Philly, whatever. But I just really thought that, that would have been the best fit. Yeah. Sometimes that makes sense. And yeah, it's definitely stings to see Bridges where he is right now and, and, you know, see the Sixers as well as the ones he would be that much better with him. But there's also other kids we could have taken in that draft that the Sixers, you know, Dante's in the playoffs right now and Lonnie just got eliminated. And these are all guys that might have been a little bit better than Zaire for this. Well, Dante too. Um, you you, you, yeah. you and I were were high on Dante when, when people – um from from some of our, our former co-workers didn't have Dante even as a first rounder you and I were were pretty much in that bandwagon that that, that whole year so um I, I'm sure hats off to us whatever but the point is is that the Villanova kids should have should have stayed in Philly period they should have never been able to leave um even Brunson for 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 that matter yeah. shout, shout out to, to, to Jalen Brunson too everybody was Absolutely. kind of um high on him in the Philadelphia area all those kids should have been able to stay home or, or the Sixers should God, the Sixers should have at least one of them, but whatever that that's neither here or there. The point Josh is Hart. Josh. Hart, oh my God. Josh Hart, especially yet yeah, too, man, with some of the stuff that he does for yeah. new Orleans, Jesus Lou. Um, that being said though, this is a pro Phoenix suns podcast. I'm going to stick with my pick Lakers and seven, but um, I could see this going either way. And if Phoenix moves on, I am by no means going to be upset and, and yeah, if Phoenix is able to beat the Lakers in this series, I'm picking them to go to the finals. Hell, I might even pick them to win the finals. I just think they're that good of a team. Um, they're like one through nine, I think, can compete with anybody. So that's going to be a really fascinating series to watch. Um, moving on to a series that some people could say is fascinating. I got to be honest. I don't think it's that fascinating. Um, Nuggets, Blazers. The Blazers were horrifically bad this year on defense. They were 29th in total defense in terms of points per possession. And you look at every single category, the only category where they were top 10 in terms of points per possession from, from the stats that I was able to pull, they were eighth in transition. You know who doesn't give a shit about playing in transition? The Denver Nuggets. Because of Nikola Jokic pretty much manning the point for that team now for, for I guess, for I, I was going to say for better or worse, but no, it is for the better. Um, and, and shout out to Jamal Murray. We hope that you get healthy. Obviously, they're without him for this playoff run, but even without him, um, every single offensive, it's not like the Denver Nuggets are a bad team on offense already. They, they were seventh in total offense this year, but every single statistical category that they rate out well on offense, it's like Portland is like bottom of the barrel in terms of being able to defend against those categories. Like like everything that you'd expect Jokic to be able to take advantage of, um, offensive rebound opportunities, um, post-ups, post-ups including passes, um, operating out of the pick-and-roll game. And then you factor in um, some of their catch-and-shoot guys, like Michael Porter, for example, I think is going to have a really good series. 
Um, the, the team being eighth in jumpers, eighth in catch and shoot. Porter's obviously a big reason for that when he gets his minutes and he gets his opportunities. I just think given what the Nuggets do well and what the Blazers don't do well in a high scoring affair, it's going to come down to um, Denver ultimately winning this series. I like them to win this in five games. And that hurts me to say because I'm one of the biggest Damian Lillard fans you could possibly find. I really think that he's he's up there. He he can he can have any day where where he plays like the best point guard in the league. Uh, we we were talking earlier about him potentially being able to go toe to toe with Stephen Curry as a shooter. I give the edge to Steph, but like I said, Dame can make every single three point shot in the book that Steph can. I just don't know about the volume. But then again, I could be wrong about that because when you do look at like the the statistics in terms of where he's shooting the ball from, like when you're shooting out by the logo, Dame's technically is like the best shooter um, by percentage in the league. So as prolific as him and CJ McCollum can be, as many points as the Blazers can score, I just don't think they're going to be able to outscore Denver, just, just given the statistical disparities between categories and what each team excels at. Um, Cole, what are, what are your thoughts on, on Nuggets Blazers? What are you going with? Um, do, do you see any way that Portland can can flip the series around and, and steal a couple games or even win it besides just Damon CJ just being blistering hot for however many games? No, if, if I have the Nuggets in six and if the Blazers are going to win too, it's going to be on the back of Damon CJ. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I just think the Nuggets have too much firepower and perhaps out of any other young player in all of the playoffs, I think Michael Porter Jr. could have like the biggest holy shit, like, this guy is a superstar type, you know, production for the first few series as long as Denver's in the playoffs. So I'm looking forward to seeing him really kind of, you know, bust out against Portland, a team who doesn't play a lot of defense, like you said, um, if any defense, actually. So, no, I think this will be Nuggets all the way, and it'll be pretty quick. Portland's one of my teams, and I'm kind of like, yeah, they're back in the playoffs, and yeah, they had a decent little season again, but there's just something wrong. Damon CJ, they've been they've been at this for several years now, and they can't seem to break through the ceiling that they have. And so something's got to change there. And I think there's another team in the playoffs that's kind of headed for that change as well. We're about to get into them, Dallas Mavericks. But yeah, I just think Portland, I think this is going to be a quick out for Portland, quicker than I have listed here. And I think, you know, it's going to be a lot of questions for them in the offseason. Evan, do you have do you have any thoughts to, to add to this? Because you actually picked Nuggets in seven. You think that this is going to go... Uh, um, seven games is that just because of, of your belief like you alluded to and Damian Lillard to put this team on his back for three and carry them to three wins yeah I think a lot of my talking points are very similar to the same things with Steph Curry I just think Dame's gonna kind of step up because he always does right Dame is built for the playoffs but the Portland team is just not nearly as good as Denver Um, I don't know just same thing just Dame's gonna go off. I don't know if he's gonna go for sixty, but he's gonna have a few really high scoring <laughs> games where they're just gonna win because he's just putting up too many points for Denver to stop them. And I just think Denver is gonna be missing Jamal Murray a lot. I mean, Jamal Murray is an elite player. I mean, look what he did for them last year, right? In the playoffs, he, it's just rough without him. He did carry that team at times, um, but if Jokic is going to validate. His his MVP coronation. I think the, I'd be stunned if he didn't win the MVP at this point. Um, what better way than to cement that MVP season than to start off a playoff run with, with blowing the doors off of somebody like Portland, who by all metrics accountable, like you should be able to blow this team out no problem, um, even without 
Jamal Murray. I, I think they, they are going to miss Jamal Murray as they move on to, to yeah. the second round, potentially even past that. But I think here they have enough talent on that team. Make shots. Defend enough. Don't let um, Nurkic have his way down low. As long as Jokic can win that battle down low between friendly rivals um, and, and not let Nurkic go off for like 25 and 15 every night, um, then, then I really think that Denver should be able to, to win that series pretty handily. The one thing I will say, though, is that even though I am picking Denver to win this, I think it's far more likely that if it's going to be like a sweep or a five-game series, I think it's much more likely Portland wins in four or five than Denver wins in four or five. I just, I don't see Portland not winning at least two games in the series. I just don't see how it happens. Hey, man, Dame Dalla is Dame Dalla for a reason. Like, like if that man's going to have his way and he's just going to put that team on his back and he's going to make every single clutch shot possible towards the end of games and he's going to pull every tight game out of his ass, like, fine. <laughs> like, so be it. Like, it, it, it wouldn't shock me, obviously, in the slightest. But um, just just by team composition, everything that both clubs are bringing to the table, I just think that, that this is Denver's series to lose and I think that they're going to hammer it home and they're going to move on. Um, I only retort to my Go ahead. Yeah, my only retort to that is, like, didn't Portland have a much better team in 2018? And they got swept by the Pelicans. And I know the Pelicans were a weird case that year with with Boogie, AD, Drew. You know, that was a a nice combo. But still, like, to get swept is is something. Well, in theory, Portland has the best offensive team that I think they've ever had around Dame and CJ. Because you look at that starting unit, you have Nurkic. Um, at the center spot, being able to score in a variety of ways, whether that's in the post. He's even made some jump shots um, at times this season. Then you bring in Norm Powell, who was already having a great year in Toronto. I, I, I wasn't a big fan of them giving up Gary Trent to do it, but at the same time, Powell's been really good for Portland and a big reason why they've been able to swing their season around a little bit here the last like month, month and a half. And then you got Rocco, um, who, who can certainly make an open three whenever he's given one. So um, this is technically their best offensive team. The problem is, is just being that horrific on, on defense. Like, how often do you see a team who's that bad through the regular season on defense actually win a playoff series or, or even multiple playoff series? Like, it just it just doesn't happen. So that that's probably the biggest reason why. If they were even like middle of the pack defensively, let's say they were like between like I don't know, 16th and 19th, or even 20th defensively. Like, they weren't like god awful, but they mm. were kind of just like middle of the road to like. The, the back end of the top 66% of the league. Like I, I thought that I would give them a much better shot then in that scenario. But the, the fact that they're just so bad, like I just don't see how they can overcome that against the, an offensive machine like Jokic. And yeah, Cole, I agree with you. I think, I think this really could be um, Porter's moment to say that I'm here. I'm ready for this. Um, just because Jamal Murray isn't here doesn't mean that we're just going to fold over and roll over to anybody in this Western Conference playoff run. I can be a second banana. I, I can I can take my lumps and I can help Jokic uh, get some wins here. So yeah, I, th- this really is a big time for Porter Jr. Um, Cole, you just talked about you, you brought up the Dallas Mavericks. They're they're playing the Clippers. Um, I've started off every single conversation here, but now you have me really intrigued. Um, when you're talking about Dallas might have to make some wholesale changes. I'm assuming that that's why that bi- the biggest reason why you have um, Clippers in five. I also have the Clips in five. Um, but why don't you kind of expound upon what you see from this series and and why you think that Dallas is at such a disadvantage to, to the Clippers? 
I just thought it was a weird season for Dallas all around. Uh, I felt like Luca was, he got off to a slow start, uh, whatever reason that was, I'm not really sure. Um, you know, Chris Stapps wasn't around off and on for large chunks of the season again. That definitely doesn't help Luca establish anything. I just felt like Luca is in year three with this team and he's looking at the same guys and he's like, I need something more from some of these guys or I need another guy here. Like, because Chris Stapps isn't on the floor enough. And so I think that kind of got to him a little bit this year and frustration standpoint. And I don't know, maybe he didn't play as focused as he could have. Uh, every night. And so I think Dallas will will see that again in the playoffs a little bit. Chris Stapps hasn't been himself all year. Uh, he's still, I don't think that knee is 100%. Um, and he's probably had other ailments pop up as he tries to compensate and play through it. So I, I think the Clippers feeling the heat of their early out last year, unexpected early out last year, are going to come in sharp. Paul George and Kawhi aren't going to face much of a stiff competition against from, from anybody on this Dallas Mavericks perimeter. I think they're going to eat all series long and it's going to be quick. Luca will probably get off for a game. You know, he's got that magic and he is that good. So I can't rule him out for a game, but I think the Clippers win this pretty handedly. Everybody seems to think, including Kevin, um, he, he's kind of actually aligned with, with the majority of the national media landscape. I think the majority are picking the Clippers to win. Um, a lot of people are picking them to win in six. You and I are ahead of that curve. We have, um, the Clippers winning in five. I think a lot of people think that Luca's good, not just for one game, but for two games because of the savant that he is. And it, it's it's so ironic that this series being the four or five matchup, this really is like the Knicks Hawks um, of the West. And reason being is that um, I talked about the New York Knicks being bad defending in, in pick and roll situations, um, not being able to contain the roll man or, or letting the ball handle or score too efficiently. Um, out of pick and roll sets or kind of find the corner shooter. Well, there's virtually no other player um, better doing that than, than Luka Doncic. And the Clippers also struggle to defend in those same play types. So if Luka decides to play otherworldly um, and absolutely carry this team and the Clippers can't do anything to stop Dallas's pick and roll attack, then that could pose some problems. That could give Dallas that extra game um, and really make the Clippers work to win a game six or even possibly a game seven if it would get pushed that far. Um, but I, I just think given what the Clippers have been able to do all year offensively, basically as long as they're moving the ball, as long as they're as long as they're not playing like this super heavy isolation heavy offense and they're getting guys like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard being involved in, in getting other open shooters the ball. Now you bring in Rondo um, at the trade deadline. He's obviously going to do his best to get everybody involved and, and keep the ball moving and, and coach people into getting into the right spots at the right times. Um, as long as that ball wasn't around, they're able to can shots and they're able to make shots a lot more efficiently. And Dallas is not a defensive juggernaut by any means. They're not as bad as Portland, but they were a team who was 19th in total defense. But just given where the Clippers finished, third in total offense, the, the the veteran talent that they have on that team, guys like Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, uh, Rajon Rondo, uh, Reggie Jackson, Morris, uh, they, they just have so many weapons who can make shots in a variety of ways. And I just think the Clippers offense is going to be much better than it was in the previous postseason. And I think that they're, they're going to overwhelm um, a team on the poor side of things like the Dallas Mavericks. So that's really what I'm seeing from this series. And, and I think it's going to be entertaining. Luca's always a fun watch. I just don't think that everybody else around him has enough juice. And I agree, Cole. They're, the Mavericks are definitely going to make some changes um, this upcoming offseason. And I'll be very curious 
um, to see what they do. Kevin, you have any other thoughts to add on this series? Uh, I would just say there's one big X factor. I'm going to give you two words, Nate. Playoff P. Oh, my God. Are, 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 are we done crapping on Paul George yet? I, I, I will be done if he shows up. If he doesn't show up, then we'll have a conversation in two weeks about how, once again, he's not looking good in the playoffs. What I hope he, he does show up. up. The, what if he shows up but the Clippers don't make the finals? If he actually, if, he, if well? he shows up, then I'm fine, right? All right. But I think right. he was one of the main reasons they didn't make the finals last year because he just was not good. And I, well, I, Paul I know George, that you. Uh, Paul George anyway. played like a top ten player in the NBA this year. Well, yeah, um, but it doesn't matter in regular season. I know, I know, I know, but. I think this year more than ever uh, than in years past, he stepped up not only just being a scorer and an open threat threat from three, uh, running off screens, getting involved in the catch and shoot game, but he's really taken an initiative. Not that he's never been able to set guys up um, and and act as a playmaker or or like this primary offensive initiator before, but he really took a lot of that on his back this season, especially before they got Rondo. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of that's also going to carry over into the playoffs as well. And that now you, you don't look quite as bad from the point guard spot as you did a few months ago. Now you have Rondo to be able to come in playoff. Rondo always excels. You have Paul George willing to make a lot more of those plays. Kawhi Leonard. I, I think Zach Lowe's talked about this the past few years now and, and Kevin O'Connor, but he's really stepped up in terms of his passing ability as well. So as long as they keep that ball moving and the ball doesn't stick in anybody's hands, um, in particular, one of those two wings for, for too long, they don't get, um, isolation happy like they did against Denver last year in the postseason. That was their biggest downfall. They lost yeah. to the Nuggets because they stopped moving the ball. So as long as that doesn't happen, I, the Clippers could very well go to the finals. Hell, they could end up winning the finals. Like, like I, I mean, if, of a team, if Paul George plays like a top 10 player in the NBA, they make the finals, right? They almost have to because the only team that could probably stop them in a seven-game series is Phoenix. But I think a, a gelling Paul George and Kawhi beats Denver without Jamal Murray. Either either the Lakers or Phoenix. I probably wouldn't take the Clippers over either of those two teams, but it's not like the Clippers couldn't win a series against either of those two teams. Um, they, they are that capable of a team. And I don't know. I, I think Paul George is going to come out and have a dynamite playoffs. I think his head's in the right spot. Uh, I think he's good mentally. And, and his game, like I said, it, it, it took a few different steps up this year from even where it was, and he was already an all-NBA caliber wing when he's at his best. So um, I'm rooting for you, Paul George. I hope you prove everybody wrong. I hope you have a dynamite playoffs. You come out, you show everybody what you're made of. So, uh, but that being said though, that's going to do it for this episode. Again, we're probably not bringing any groundbreaking insight into the playoff picture in this first round. Um, As Cole and I know, uh, we're, we're a draft podcast first and foremost. We spend so much of the year scouting and watching all the young guys. We catch NBA games whenever we can, but that's not quite as often as we'd like to as some of these other um, shows and, and, and methods of getting content out here that, that you're probably more accustomed to for NBA coverage. But there's no guys to, to scout live right now. It's playoff time. We're, we're probably going to get better and better with our NBA takes as the playoffs go along as we're able to watch more basketball. So definitely um, stay tuned to the podcast feed, not just for the draft content as we're moving through that whole pre-draft process, but for the NBA talk and the insight as well. I- I'm excited more than ever for the for these playoff runs. And the playoffs are a really good opportunity um, to see different trends emerging in the league, 
and using those trends to judge how some of these younger players are able to um, benefit as they step into new roles coming into the NBA, how they're going to be able to contribute, um, et cetera. So it always comes back to scouting. We're always able to kind of bring everything around full circle and make use of the information. So thank you everyone so much for listening. You can, again, follow us on Twitter, at Draft Deeper. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast: Apple, Spotify, subscribe to our YouTube channel. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of the week. Enjoy the playoffs. We'll be back for another Dynamite Draft show, same time usual next week. Have a wonderful rest of your week, everybody. Thank you.